Hello and welcome to the season one finale of Smug Buds, the podcast where we explain everything to the geese. My name is Will and I'm joined as always by my friend and pod husband, Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes. Hi, Liz. Hi, Will. You know, we're called the Smug Buds. Okay. I'm glad that this came up on the final episode of season one. <laughs> I think that this is a small point of contention between us, except uh, we haven't discussed it. So there's been no vocal contention. But I think privately, we've each had contention. With the fact I've that you're been... saying it wrong? <laughs> okay. All right. So... And you run the website and you run the social media yes. and, and I just co-host the thing. So Yeah, you do uh, nothing. Yeah, I mean I guess you are the final authority on this matter. So what you're telling me yes. is that the name of the podcast is The Smug Buds. Yes. Our social media is Smug Buds because it would be stupid to have the in it. Okay, but why why is it not equally stupid to have the in the title, the actual title? Because we are the Smug Buds. <laughs> it's like official. Uh-huh. Okay, so it, what you're saying is accept no substitutes. Yes. Because these are the... We're the genuine t- article. The two and only Smug Buds. Yes. Okay, fair enough. All right, so welcome to The Smug Buds. Yeah. The podcast where we explain <laughs> everything to the geese. <laughs> Now that we got that out of the way, how are you doing, Liz? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Um, I think I also want to say here that this is also why we, when I talk about everyone else, uh, we say the Goslings or I have other fun names for them. Like if it's cold out, I hope that they're a snug bud. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we have a guest at some point, they'll be a guest bud. Sure. Uh, we, uh, I mentioned uh, on social media that maybe we would have my brother as a guest to talk about pizza, and he asked if he could be a brother bud, uh, to which I said yes. <laughs> could you repeat that for me and maybe spell it? I don't know if I understood you. B-R-O-T-H, bud, brother bud, because he's my brother. Okay, right. So See, Blake yes. gets it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Brother is short for brother, but yeah. it's spelled just like broth. Yes. Which is also someone I hope to have as a guest. <laughs> yes. Uh, we'll get to that in a later season, maybe, if there are any later seasons. Yeah, there's going to be later seasons. Okay. Well, I want to make it seem Will, like it's... A- Will, Will breaks up with me and I'm like, welcome to the <laughs> Smug Bud, where I talk yeah. to myself. <laughs> the one and only. Yeah. No, I want to create some tension, some suspense. Like, it's up to you, the Goslings, to like, you know, we want to hear you. Do you want to hear more? And and also, I want there to be a hiatus. We haven't talked about <clears throat> the length of time that might come between the release of this episode and season two, episode one, right, if yeah. it ever happens. So <laughs> I was imagining a small hiatus, a hiatus for us in recording and yes. also for how they're released. Uh-huh. But anyway, we'll iron out those details off mic because we have on mic business to attend to. Right. Uh, any other updates before we get into it? Well, I think it um, is worth mentioning um, in our uh our final episode of the season that we did just release the first episode of our season into the world. And you guys uh, have listened to it and we really appreciate it. So thank you friends. Yeah. 
Thank you for listening. This is the first episode that we're recording since we actually released any episodes of the podcast. Uh, we have one more episode to record, which you have already heard if you are listening to these in order, mm -hmm. which you may not. So that makes it even more confusing to talk about. But uh, yes, this is a, a Yeah, but a if people aren't moment. listening to them in order, it's not like they don't have a sense for what the order is. It's not like we don't number them. We do. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like they're like, I don't know what order these came out with. They organize them by alphabetical organization. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, if you've listened to the season up to this point, then you have probably already heard us talk about why we recorded one episode out of the order that they are being released. So anything else besides a thank you to the Goslings who have actually shown up and in some cases identified themselves and made themselves into goslings by listening to the first episode of Smug Buds. The, the Smug the Buds, Smug excuse Buds. me. The Smug Buds. <laughs> um, yeah, just that we haven't gotten any uh, emails or letters that I feel require me, uh, uh, um, what's the word, sorting them into our hate mail folder on Gmail. Mm, right. Yes, please email us your thoughts, questions, anything at all to Smug Buds, not The Smug Buds, but I just don't think buds. this is confusing. <laughs> Smugbuds at gmail.com. And and just one other just one more little question about this matter. So if if we were to abbreviate uh the uh name of the show, you know, with it initials, uh -huh. uh, would would it be T S B? Like guess. when I want to refer to the podcast by its initials. I, would I say, oh, we're recording a new episode of TSB this weekend? No, I think you just say SB. And let me give you a very good wow. reason why I have a good, uh, why this is not dumb. Are you ready? Uh, yeah, please. Wa the Washington Post, the very important mm. newspaper, is yeah. the Washington Post. Yes. But the website is WashingtonPost.com. Okay. You know why? Because making it TheWashingtonPost.com would be dumb. I think the New York Times is the same goddamn thing. Okay. All right. I can. Mm -hmm. Don't you want to be as prestigious, as prestigious as the New York Times? I think we are at this point. <laughs> right, we're at least as prestigious as as the uh, opinion section of the New York Times ba -ba -ba. Uh, currently. Um, I just think that okay, if we're if the name of the show is the Smug Buds, then I think it'd be the SB. <laughs> That's the initials. Yeah. The SB. Okay. In a future episode, we might talk a little bit about uh, Old English. And, and I would like to submit the suggestion that the initials of the name of the podcast are Thorn SB. Thorn? Yes. That's a letter that doesn't exist anymore right. in English as we know it. I accept. I do. Good. I do. I, I, I don't talk about my job a lot um, because I can't really because um, it's secret. But mm -hmm. I mean, my yes. job's not secret. I'm an editor, but you're a spy. I'm a <laughs> oh, shit. Um, <laughs> but no, because I, I've signed, you know, I've signed a bunch of non-disclosure agreements. But one of the things I do do a lot is work with acronyms all of the time. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, there's a lot of organizations that have the in the name that totally yeah. drop it for the acronym and even drop it um, for people using the acronym as a word. So okay. 
what I'm suggesting is not insane. But there are other organizations that, in fact, keep the the article when mm-hmm. they have an acronym. So, right. They're, they're case in point. I win. Okay. So it's open to debate is what I'm hearing. <laughs> and if you want to use SB, that's fine. But to me, SB, the initials SB will always mean strong bad. I was going to say that too. Speedmail. Okay, cool. <laughs> glad we're on the same page. Glad, glad, glad we can agree on one thing and that is Homestar yeah. Runner. <laughs> Hopefully maybe subject of one of my future episodes. Yeah. If there are future episodes... It's up to you. And I'm talking to the Goslings, not Liz. <laughs> and now I'm talking to Liz. When I, I love, say, wait, wait, wait. I oh, also like ahead. how in this situation, it's up mm-hmm. to the Goslings. And so if you and I are, are pod husband and wife, we're basically yeah. saying that if we break up, it's our kid's fault. Yeah. <laughs> or or our lack of kids. Oh, it could be God. Uh, like the song No Children by the Mountain Goats. Or is it just mountain goats? Oh my god, it's I'm the not mountain sure. goats. I actually, I will say, mm-hmm. I do say the arcade fire, and that's absolutely wrong. <laughs> I've seen that though, and and not just from you. Oh, I thought you were saying you've seen it from me and been like, ah, oh, that Liz is wrong. No, no, I've I've seen the arcade fire in print, and I, I believe it was not just because you wrote it somewhere. <laughs> So, like, in iTunes, like, half of the albums say The Arcade Fire from when I uploaded them in, like, high school, and the other oh, half just yeah. say Arcade Fire. Right. Yeah. That's doubly confusing. <coughs> okay, well, please, what are we talking about today? Oh, I, do well, you want me to I'm say? supposed to ask you that question, because right. I'm the one talking. So, unless you have any other business, would you please tell the Goslings what I am about to talk about for the season one finale? Season one finale, William Hoffacker. We are talking mm. about The Witness, which is a video game. This is what I know about The Witness. Oh, boy. It's a video game. I yes. Google imaged it, and it mm-hmm. seems colorful. I was yes. surprised by this. The Witness uh-huh. made me think that it would be dark. <laughs> Just the name The Witness made you picture something maybe like film noir-ish? Yeah, like bump bump. Bump. <laughs> sure. Bump bump. <laughs> Uh, okay, yeah. So uh, why talk about a video game that most people, like you, Liz, have probably never heard of in this very important episode of The Smug Buds? Why did I save this for my last topic of season one? It's not <laughs> only because this is a video game that I really love, that I want more people to know about and play. Mm-hmm. It's also because talking about The Witness gives me an excuse to share what I consider to be the most interesting example of trivia that I know and have ever heard. (gasps) It is a piece of trivia that I consider so important that Mm -hmm. it may transcend the nomenclature trivia. Wow, it, dude. Because it's it's not trivial, and to call it trivia implies that it's trivial information, but this might be so crucial that it's just the most interesting fact that I know. Oh my god. And you know I love trivia. And I learned it from playing the witness, kind of, sort of. <laughs> I'll explain. So I don't I think this might be our first episode that starts with like a huge cliffhanger. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Stay tuned. Okay, so um, before I 
get into the witness and where it came from and what it is and what it looks like. Here are just a few other trivia facts that are not as interesting as the one I just teased, but still kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, Liz, have you heard of a phenomenon called crown shyness? Crown shininess? No, shyness. Crown shyness. No. Shyness. Okay, so... What this is, and I learned this from a tweet, which you can find a link to in the show notes, if you please. I thought you were going to say what you can find on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> a tweet that I found on Twitter, and so can you. Uh, crown shyness is this phenomenon where uh, in a group of trees that are growing close together, uh, if you look up at their crowns, uh, their canopies will not touch each other they won't overlap they will sort of give each other a little bit of space Uh and it creates these kind of like very pretty patterns where like oh it's like there are these negative space lines that you can see the sky through Uh and it looks very artful even though it happened naturally So I encourage you to look up pictures of that. That's crown shyness. Now, from the world of nature to the world of art, I have two factoids, both about works by Michelangelo, Uh but two different art mediums. The first is sculpture. So everybody knows the statue of David. Mm -hmm. You've seen images of it. Hopefully you can conjure a mental picture of it. How would you describe the stance of david he's standing how would you describe his his posture or like the attitude that is implied by his posture oh god isn't he kind of like a uh, <laughs> he's if you mean that he's like kind of leaning to one side yes I, yeah i think yeah, that's fair enough. Okay. For a second, I was so, afraid I was not remembering the correct statue. Right. So I wasn't sure what you would say. Uh, so I was curious. I I wonder, I don't know what the common wisdom is about this. I guess I kind of have an assumption that might be from nowhere. Mm-hmm. That the common wisdom is that the statue of David is David, you know, standing very uh, confidently. Oh, like very poised uh-huh. and you might think that to look at it or look at an image of it i think it is something like 17 or eight feet eight uh 15 or 17 feet tall oh wow it's larger than life uh-huh. so everybody looks up at it uh-huh. have you ever seen an image of the statue of david taken from above no So what's interesting about that is if you look at David from above, if you see a close up on his face, he looks concerned. Oh, he looks sort of trepidatious, even maybe fearful. Oh, God, he does. Are you looking at it now? Uh, Yeah, I am. He looks so just like, oh, like almost like suspicious and devastated and. Oh, God. Yeah. And can you think of why? No. Maybe because he needs to get some clothes. (laughs) 
Well, of course, you know, uh, I don't think that there's anything in the Bible that says that the real David was 15 feet tall. But uh, looking at David from above is how Goliath would have seen him. Oh, wow. And so you can infer from that expression on his face that he might be, you know, looking up and afraid of Goliath. Wow. So, yeah. Interesting, right? So, okay, last of these three, from Michelangelo's David, we go to Michelangelo's uh, The Creation of Adam, Mm -hmm. the fresco that is probably the most famous part of the Sistine Chapel ceiling. Mm -hmm. So you've seen this painting or an image of this painting, and, and Adam is reaching, and God is reaching, and their fingers are meeting in the middle. Yeah, and And if you were to recreate it, you need a frontispiece. Yes. Oh, Arrested Development. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, So God is surrounded by like angels. And can you remember what what is like surrounding God and his angels or like kind of in the back, like what the backdrop is? Isn't there like a lot of swaths of cloth? Right. It's kind of like one big reddish pinkish fabric. Yeah. And some have pointed out that the shape that it creates is remarkably similar to a human brain. Oh, wow. So maybe if that was intended to be seen that way, there's kind of a sneaky, you know, who really Uh created whom uh, between man and God, you know, does. Oh, my God. Are you you're looking at it on your phone now? Yes, <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm, so as I'm God, sure all of our listeners are. Oh my God, it looks exactly like a brain. Yeah, as God and all His angels are are just sort of floating inside of this human brain shape, you know, implying obviously that that's you know that's that's the only place that they live is is in our minds because they're not real. <laughs> we yeah yeah. So funny story about. Uh, that painting uh, and the Sistine Chapel where uh, it resides. Uh, I have been there, actually. Oh, how old were you? Uh, this was while I was uh, doing my semester abroad. So I would oh. have been um, 21. Uh, I did a semester abroad in undergrad. I, hate, I hated that semester. Yeah, it happened to be your last semester of undergrad and I wasn't around and no, because you lived that across was, you lived across the hall from me this semester before that. Right. Yeah, uh, it was unfortunate, and I was having the time of my life, but also missing my friends. Yeah, uh, like you, for example. You were not considerate of me at all when you made that decision. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> and uh, I was based in uh, Glasgow, Scotland, uh, but I traveled uh, all around Europe. Uh, and uh, Rome was one of my favorite destinations. And I was with my girlfriend and uh, some of the friends that she made at uh, her university because she spent the same semester abroad in Scotland, but not in Glasgow at a different mm-hmm. university. So we would go on these little trips together. And uh, so I was with them. And we went to the Vatican and we went uh, inside the Basilica and we went inside the Sistine Chapel. And what it is like to be inside the Sistine Chapel is 
Um, it's a large space that I think feels pretty open despite so many people coming in and out of it. Mm-hmm. And you are supposed to be silent so as to be respectful. Mm-hmm. And you are supposed to not take any photographs. Mm-hmm. So you enter. Well, and- like I did neither of those things. Well, I was going to say you enter and you are surrounded by a bunch of people uh, not following those rules <laughs> and interspersed with those people, some guards shushing them <laughs> and saying in Italian, no photo, no photo. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to soak it in. I wanted to have the you know respectful experience. So I was mostly following the rules. And then I had the bizarre experience of seeing someone I knew who I was not traveling with. What? Inside the Sistine Chapel. Oh, my God. It was uh, it was not as weird as seeing someone I knew from home, which is to say the United States of America. It was someone I had met in Scotland. Still. Still, yeah. Pretty weird. This guy uh, who I didn't know that well, but he was in one of my classes uh, at University of Glasgow. Uh, He happened to be there and I saw him and I noticed him before he scoped me out. And so I just sort of wandered over to him and I broke the silence rule and I just said something really casual like, uh, like, oh, it's breathtaking, isn't it? Like. I wanted to like put out the vibe that like oh isn't it isn't this funny and it's funny if I act like it's not weird. Yeah. <laughs> and he reacted like he, he was confused and then he like registered who I was and then we had that like oh wow funny bumping into you sort of moment. So <laughs> I bring up all of the I bring up those three factoids and mm-hmm. to a lesser extent I also bring out bring up that anecdote Mm -hmm. because all of these things sort of capture the spirit of the video game the witness in my mind wow okay which which i I would characterize as a video game about going through the world actively observing the world around you Mm -hmm. and you know Observing carefully and taking in data from the environment Mm -hmm. and then making decisions, excuse me, making decisions like based on the data that you very carefully actively observe Mm -hmm. rather than say making decisions, you know, just based on your feelings or flying by the seat of your pants or common wisdom or anything else that you might base your decisions on. This sounds great for me, someone who is stressed by video games often. Mm-hmm. And uh, when, for example, I played Skyrim, uh, would literally, if I was traveling someplace, I hadn't traveled before, so I, I wasn't fast traveling, I yeah. would sneak the whole way there, right. meaning I would be crouched, which takes like twice as long. And Kenny would say to me, you know, you don't have to sneak. <laughs> you probably won't die. And I'd say, no, no, no. I'm trying to up my sneak skill. <laughs> because I really liked not being able to be seen. 
Yeah, that's really useful in a game like that. Yeah. In a game like The Witness, uh, I, I would say that it is not stressful to play because you cannot die. You cannot oh. get hurt. Uh, you cannot be made to, you know, start over from somewhere. Mm-hmm. It is uh, sometimes frustrating to play mm-hmm. uh, because it is a puzzle game mm-hmm. and it's a challenging one. And mm-hmm. so that can be frustrating. But like any good puzzle game, uh, you feel really smart when you do well. Mm-hmm. And when the puzzles are paced out really well, you know, you can feel yourself learning how to do it. And uh, so you feel you feel smart. There's this thing called flow um, I don't know enough about game theory. I haven't read up as much as I would like to, but there, there's this thing where it, you know, you can graph like, uh, you know, the, the time that's going by when you're playing a game on the X axis, and then you can, um, pl- you know, graph how challenging it is on the mm-hmm. Y axis. Mm-hmm. And there's this sort of perfect, you know, in the middle flow state. Somebody called it that. I don't remember who, sorry. Um, so, some, Sorry, some game scholar to podcast. I learned it from a YouTube video. I didn't learn it from reading anything scholarly. <laughs> so, um, you know, if, if time's going by and, and the ch- uh, challenge is not increasing enough, mm-hmm. then it'll be boring. Right. But if time's going by and the challenge is accelerating too quickly, mm-hmm then it will seem impossible and it will be frustrating. Yes. So right somewhere in the middle is like, okay, it has to, you know, let you in and teach you how to do it and then, you know, gradually give you harder and harder tasks, but nothing so difficult that you'll, you know, bang Stop your head playing. against the wall. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So to put the witness in uh, context uh, of, uh, you know, video games, uh, uh, that it shares things in common with. Um, the Witness came out in 2016. Okay. It was created by this guy named Jonathan Blow or John Blow. Prior to this, he put out a game in 2008 is when it was first released called Braid. Oh, I've heard of that game. I think I've uh, told you about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, Braid was an indie game that uh, made a significant splash. I didn't, I, I've played it. I didn't play it when it was brand new, but I played it like a few years later. Braid is a side-scrolling platformer a la Super Mario. Uh-huh. And it really wears its Mario influence on its sleeve. And mm-hmm. you wouldn't know it to look at a snapshot of it because the graphics are like these really pretty painted looking backgrounds and in the foreground are these like line drawn characters and the main character that you play the player character is this like really preppy looking uh little guy so it it doesn't look like the big chunky pixels of super mario but Mm -hmm. I say it wears that influence on its sleeve because there are, there is like a character who tells you that uh, at the end of each world that the princess is in another castle, mm-hmm. and there's um, like uh, there's an a, an enemy that like is just like a, it's like a snapping, it's like a piranha plant. Yeah, like it, it looks like a 
like a snapping, uh, almost like a crab claw, but Mm -hmm. it's green and it's like coming out of a pipe in the ground, basically. So it's like, okay, this is like based on Mario, sort of. Uh, the, The special thing about Braid was that when you mess up in Braid, like you get hit by an enemy mm-hmm. and in, in and in a game like Mario, you would die and mm-hmm. start the level over. Instead, when that happens, time stops and you can press and hold a button to rewind time. <gasps> so, and you can do that at any time, mm-hmm. not just when you die, but you can do it at any time. And then that becomes like a puzzle solving mechanic. Wow. So it's like it's like part precision platformer mm-hmm. where you have to, you know, time your jumps well. But it's also m- even more so a puzzle platformer. It's it's more about solving the puzzles than it is about, you know, just being able to make the jumps well. Mm-hmm. So that was Braid and it was very special. And uh I think it's especially great because it solves a problem that I have with a lot of video games, which is that they haven't evolved beyond the format of when they were arcade games. Mm. And the point of them was Mm. to take your money as you played them. Right. Rather than taking your money before you play them. Mm -hmm. So like in a, video game like why like why like when you die like why do you have a finite number of lives and then when you lose those lives you lose a bunch of the progress that you made Mm -hmm. like there's no good reason why that should be the case except that's how it was when you played games at the arcade and you had to pay quarters you know per life or per set of lives so Braid has a very clever way of doing something different with a game format that you're already familiar with. Mm-hmm. Okay, so outside of what John Blow had done prior to The Witness, uh, there are a couple of games I want to mention that I think also uh, put The Witness in uh, context. Uh, in um, 2000 and hang on, I have this on my phone and I looked up these dates so that I would know rather than just estimating. <laughs> in 2007. Good year. Two year. Uh, oh, you put year in my head. Uh, two games came out in 2007. One was Bioshock. Oh, yeah. And the other was Portal. Oh, yeah. So uh, what I'm talking about is, in a a broader sense, is the context of first-person shooters. Mm -hmm. First-person shooters, you know, go a long way back, you know, back to, like, Doom Mm -hmm. and, you know, other early examples of first-person shooters. Portal is a first-person shooter. But <laughs> it's a puzzle game because you don't shoot bullets or lasers. Uh, you are equipped with a gun that shoots portals. 
and you use those portals to solve environmental puzzles. Yes. And it's and a very special game that I could do a whole episode about. And your best friend is a is a cube. It, yes, and you yes, the famous companion cube. Um we have a an ice cube tray that's companion cubes. Oh yeah. I have a similar thing but it's a a D20. Nice. <laughs> uh uh yeah, that was a gift from one of our D&D playing friends. Mm-hmm. Um so uh so that's one example of how uh a a game that became immensely popular uh took us the sort of first person shooter thing that people were used to and kind of took a hard left turn with it in a in an interesting direction. That's also interesting because I have never in my life thought the phrase Portal is a first person shooter. Right. I've I've played Portal and 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 its sequel. Um and yeah, never. Well, this is the thing. I didn't But you're right. It it wasn't until recently that I I, I framed this conversation this way because you know i was born in 1990 you were born in 89 Mm -mm. oh sorry 88 yeah sorry um and uh so video games were already around and so uh i'm i i'm coming to video games in a context where like sure i played uh golden eye you know and i played halo but like, I never, I, I wasn't carrying around, you know what it is? Actually, I just remembered this. Mm-hmm. It's it's because we're writers. Yes. It's because we're writers that we understand first person and third person. Right. To mean something in, in, a, in a fiction context. Uh-huh. So, so we under, we just apply that to video games. Mm-hmm. But I think if you didn't have that literary context, you know, always in your mind, yeah, then you might have the assumption that if a game is from a first person perspective, mm-hmm. it's a first person shooter. Yeah, like that's the vast majority. Of games that have that camera POV, mm-hmm. um, and so uh, it was only it was only recently that I started to think like, oh yeah, that's true, and it's weird for any game with that point of view to be anything but a shooter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, I, I mentioned Bioshock before, right? Yes, please. So Bio Bioshock is a first person shooter. The reason that I bring up Bioshock is because it has audio diaries. Right, yeah. Yeah, you must have played it or or maybe watched Kenny play it at some point. Uh yeah, and and Blake and my brother. Um Oh, okay, yeah. I've seen them play many of the Bioshocks. Yeah. So, uh Bioshock is a first-person shooter and, you know, uh with with, you know, where you shoot guns and uh, you also, you know, explore this uh, very interesting environment. <laughs> the environment is like kind of uh, post-apocalyptic on a local scale rather mm-hmm. than a global scale. And so uh, anyone you could uh, encounter uh, is probably just going to attack you. 
uh, and not yeah, there talk- aren't any and- friends in that game, are there? Well, there's one person who is like in your ear and like yeah. telling you what to do. But uh, anyway, I, I won't. I don't want to get into spoilers. But it's even, not like even it's not Bioshock like, um, is pretty old. There aren't at this non-playable point, but... characters that you're like, like you're not. There's no shopkeepers because you're right. just getting shit from vending machines. Like rather than navigating a world where there's a bunch of NPCs, non-player characters that you can have a dialogue with. There are maybe a couple of NPCs who like talk at you, but not to your face. Mm-hmm. And the world is filled with these little audio diaries where you can find uh, something that somebody recorded. And it's like a world building tactic. It's like, oh, you listen to, oh, somebody who used to live here recorded this little diary entry about their life. And the more you listen to these, the more you get to know the backstory of the place that you're exploring. Right. So um, somebody who worked on uh, one of the Bioshock games uh, left to make his own game and his own little studio. And uh, I'm talking about Steve Gaynor. And uh, he created a company called Fulbright. And uh, he created a video game called Gone Home. Oh, okay. And the reason why Bioshock is important to Gone Home is not just because Steve Gaynor worked on Bioshock 2 and also, a, anyway, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, Steve and, and Carla uh, wrote this game, Bioshock. <clears throat> excuse me. I wrote, wrote, they wrote this game, Gone Home. Wait, who's Carla? Uh, uh, I, I'm sorry. I can't remember her last name. It, it, uh, you know, writing partner. Oh, your friend. Yeah. Your friend, Carl. Other, other person. At, at Fulbright. <laughs> um, I'm going to Google it while I'm talking. So okay. wish me luck. <clears throat> Good luck. Uh, they made gone home and it's kind of like Bioshock without, uh, the shooting. Oh, that sounds great for me. It's just exploring an environment and uh, finding uh, audio diaries. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and, so it's and like le- a it's like learning a podcast video game. Yeah, yeah, kind <laughs> of. Um, no, not the Fulbright Scholars Program. <laughs> Fulbright with two L's. Um, I remember my grandfather at one point suggesting that I should be a Fulbright Scholar, as if that I were re- something I could... I was in high school and he was like, you could be a Fulbright scholar. And I was like, no, what? I remember my uncle uh, suggesting that I apply to become a Rhodes scholar. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Um, Okay, great. So uh, I I did the embarrassing thing of forgetting uh, their name. And now I will do the embarrassing thing of not knowing how to pronounce it now that I'm looking at it. (laughs) Carla Zimonia. Zimonia. Or, or possibly, anyway, it's Z-I-M-O-N-J-A. That's why I said yeah, but I don't know if that's yeah, right. Yeah, I would okay. say Zimonia. So, um, first person, no shooting, audio diaries. Uh-huh. That, you know, uh, uh, Gone Home uh, did that to some uh, really significant critical acclaim. That gives you a picture of some of the landscape prior to The Witness coming out. 
So uh, after the witness came out, uh, John Blow uh, did this. This is just one more piece of context. And and I really love this game. And Braid's a great game, too. Um, why would anyone be resistant to uh, playing John Blow's games? Um, you know, what kind of criticism might someone have for him? Well, you might say that he's pretentious as hell. Mm-hmm. Um, you might say this if you saw him in uh, Indie Game, the movie. Oh, uh-huh. Which is a documentary that is mostly about the making of two games. One is called Fez and the other is called Super Meat Boy. Uh-huh. And this is after the point that Braid came out. So you don't get to see the making of Braid. But they do interview John Blow as like an expert in the field because he made one of the most popular indie games. Yeah. And so if you saw him uh, being interviewed, you might you know get a sense of how lofty his thinking is. And uh, you would also see in that documentary sort of his vision of Braid and his uh, intellectual aspirations juxtaposed with a video of the rapper Soldier Boy playing oh, the game. Soldier Boy, tell him. Yeah, so Soldier Boy told uh, us that. Uh, well, he looked at Braid and just thought that it was hilarious. <laughs> like, there's this video on the internet of like Soldier Boy <laughs> and maybe some friends, uh, like just b- playing Braid and like pointing and laughing at like you know, the preppy little player character and like, oh man, this like this game is so weird. Well, I forget what, what it says, but That's it's just amazing. It's just this moment in the documentary where like you see the creator of this game and you see this famous rapper like laughing hysterically at like the work of art that he created. <laughs> and like it creates it creates this this moment where like okay, like either either you think that this is really funny or you don't think that it's funny and you feel bad for the guy because yeah. you feel like, oh, it's like poignant that he, you know, created this this uh, work of art in the form of a, a video game. So uh, if you hadn't seen uh, that documentary, uh, then you might also get your uh, impression of John Blow from an interview that he did after The Witness came out. Uh, for the Guardian, and there's a link to this in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And the poll quote from the interview: you don't even have to read the interview; mm-hmm. you just have to look at the headline of the interview mm-hmm. to know that the poll quote is that John Blow said on the record, "I want to make video games for people who read Gravity's Rainbow." <laughs> what is Gravity's Rainbow? Oh, it's a novel by Jonathan Franzen. Oh, Jesus Christ. It's like almost the same as saying, I want to make video games for people who like Infinite Jest. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So depending on who you are, maybe that's your shit. And you go, uh, you know, sign me up. Or maybe you think, not a great look. Not a great look. And that's why I said pretentious as hell before. So, uh, The Witness is a first-person puzzle game. Uh No shooter, no, you know, twist on a gun. You just walk around 
encountering puzzles and solving them. What does that look like? Well, the game starts, and I mean starts. Like, there's no menu screen when you load it up. You are just dropped right in to, like, first-person perspective. You are at the end of a long hallway. Uh-huh. And... It's dim and it's uh, round. Uh, and at the other end of the hallway, brightly lit, is a closed door. Okay. And it kind of looks like there's a sign on the door. Uh-huh. <clears throat> By the way, I played this on the um, PlayStation 4. Okay. So you approach the door and uh the sign is is actually uh it's like a screen there's like a square mm-hmm. and uh inside the bright yellow square is this uh image uh you could almost look at it like it kind of looks like a road sign mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh and the image in in the quote unquote road sign is like it's kind of shaped like a thermometer oh, okay so, like, if you read it from left to right, as you would, because that's how we read things, mm-hmm. uh, there's a, uh, a larger circle at one end mm-hmm. at, that feeds into a continuous line. Mm-hmm. And then at the other end of the line, uh, the line ends, but it's rounded. Okay. Yeah. Thermometer. Um, right. So, you approach the sign and you press, you know... Uh, you you can play this not only on PlayStation 4, so I won't say the X button, but the, the activate button. Mm-hmm. And you become uh, sort of focused in on the screen. There's this very pleasant sound effect that's mm-hmm. like, whoop. There's a lot of like <laughs> audio design uh, to the sound effects in this game. That, mm-hmm. that sounds really stupid the way I just put that. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of really effective audio design. That signals, like, what's happening. Yeah. In addition to the visuals signaling it to you. So, like, basically you hit the activate button and, like, the screen really comes into focus. Like, it's occupying your field of view. Mm -hmm. And what you also notice is that this little pale dot has appeared at the center of the screen. So you move the joystick. And now, when you move the joystick, which you were already using to move yourself... Rather than moving yourself, you move the little pale dot around the screen. Okay, so it's like and a And the cursor. field of view doesn't change. Yeah. As you're doing this, the circle on the left of the thermometer starts to kind of pulse a little bit. Uh-huh. There's this little, like, almost like a blip on a radar screen. It's uh-huh. going like, bloop, bloop, and with a little, like, little circles, like, echoing out of it. So you drag your pale dot over to that circle. You press the activate button again. And then with another really satisfying sound effect, that circle like fills up with light. (gasps) And then you drag the joystick from left to right. And that light fills in the dark space shaped like a thermometer. And once you select that circle... Then the sort of nub at the end of the thermometer, Mm -hmm. that kind of starts to pulse like a blip on a radar screen. So you drag it from left to right. 
and then once you've filled up the thermometer, then the whole thing kind of signals you that like, yep, mm-hmm, yep, yep. It do, you know does its little like validating sound effect and visual cue, and then you press the activate button again, mm-hmm. and the door opens. Wow. Okay. So that's the first puzzle solved. Easy. It, o- it opens into this little cave area where uh, it kind of looks like a dead end at first. And then there, there's nothing, you know, there's just like rocky wall ahead and to the right. And then there's another door to the left. Mm-hmm. And it's also closed. And it also has a screen. And it also has a line to fill in. Uh, but this time the line has a 90 degree angle. Okay. So it's basically, it's it's teaching you two things. One in a less subtle way and one in a more subtle way. The less subtle way is, okay, I'm going to keep doing this sort of connect the dots thing, but it's going to get more and more complicated. Mm-hmm. I said connect the dots, but maybe more accurate would be to say complete the circuit. Mm-hmm. These are kind of like complete the circuit puzzles. Okay. Um, the other more subtle thing that it's teaching you is that the puzzles may reflect the environment that you're in. Ah. Because you have to make a left turn. Mm-hmm. And then the puzzle has a left turn from right. the start to the finish. So you complete that puzzle and the door opens. And when this door opens, you are outside but you are outside sort of inside these like castle walls Mm -hmm. so there's no roof so it's very open and it's very pretty and it's very green on the ground and very blue up in the sky and you can see the sun in the sky and you can see a lot of clouds in the sky most of the clouds are very white some are darker And so you have a larger environment to move around, but you're still confined by these walls. And as you move around the environment, you find more screens. Mm -hmm. And the screens have more puzzles that are getting progressively more complicated. The way that they're getting complicated is basically that they're just becoming more like mazes. Oh, okay. So it's like, okay, I know how to do a maze. I can just navigate from the point A to point B to complete the circuit the other way that they start to get more complicated is that some of the puzzles in this environment they teach you that when you look at the screen and you activate it you know you focus in on it with that activate button you'll notice two little blips on the radar and you realize oh this maze has two circles it has Mm. two points that i can start from yeah but still only one finish. And so maybe only one of them works. And so you have to figure out where to start and then complete the circuit. And then the other thing that you can learn from one of these puzzles is that, you know, you select the circle to start and then there are multiple blips on the radar because there are multiple places where you can finish. Mm -hmm. So you learn that, okay, some puzzles are going to have multiple starting points and they may not all be workable. And the same is true for ending points. So once you know, once you complete enough puzzles in this environment, then a large gate opens and then you can go outside these like castle like walls and then you're really outside. Okay. And you're on an island. Nice. And basically like 
are, are scattered throughout the island. There are like some doors that aren't open and you need to solve puzzles to open them. But like by and large at this point, and you're only like, I don't know, 10 to 20 minutes into the game. Uh-huh. At this point, like you could walk anywhere, basically. Nice. There's a big mountain at the center of the island and you can climb to the top of the mountain and there are paths here and paths there. And what you will start to take in if you explore enough is that there's a bunch of like different little ecosystems on the island. So there's like a desert area and there's like a forest area. It's amazing how islands can do that. Yeah. Uh, and it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a very special island. <laughs> with a snow-capped mountain and a, and a desert cor- and a sandy desert in one corner um and so it, it it's interesting you you say that because it all does kind of have the feeling of like this is really beautiful but it's also obviously artificial in mm-hmm. some way and part of what's interesting about it is that you it's sort of like a simulation of you know, exploring a natural environment, but at the mm-hmm. same time, you know, you have the cognitive awareness that like this was designed for you because it's a video game, mm-hmm. but then also <laughs> you might start to get the sense that in the world of the game, this is an artificial environment that was oh. designed for your enjoyment. Ooh. I I can't really say spoilers for The Witness because there's really no narrative to speak of. Mm-hmm. But there are some things there. There may not be spoilers in the sense of spoiling a storyline, but there are secrets and I, I will avoid divulging uh, some secrets nice. that you should discover on your own by playing it mm-hmm. so um as so so at th- suffice to say at this point the game is very non-linear yeah you can you can explore a lot of different areas and you can go through them in almost any order you want it does put some pretty simple stuff right in front of you mm-hmm. that you can take in next to sort of get that flow state you know amping up Mm-hmm. But at this point, you can also just walk right by that stuff and find something else. Wow. So the more complicated stuff, uh, but, but still relatively simple stuff that you'll start to find is that um, rather than just being mazes, because how much can you really do with like, you know, a maze is always going to be a maze. It's always yeah. going to be just like finding the path from yeah. point A to point B. So the way that it gets more complicated is that... Um, you you start to see symbols integrated into the grids that are that the puzzles mm-hmm. are so yeah. like each each puzzle is like a kind of grid mm-hmm. and um so there's like the path that you can take you know mm-hmm. oh the other th- important thing that i need to point out is that you have to draw a continuous line right in order to complete the circuit you have to draw a line from point A to point B and you can't and the line can't overlap itself. Ah, uh, you can't cross the streams. Right. And if you go back, then that'll just erase 
the part, you know, that part of the line that you create. Yeah. So you have to create this one line that can't cross itself. So you're kind of, you're kind of creating a wall mm -hmm. in the grid. So like one of the early symbols that you'll see is that um, in the, inside the squares that are, you know, picture a five by five grid, you know, mm -hmm. you've created 25 squares. So inside the squares are these little, uh, uh, like pictures of squares and some mm -hmm. are light and some are dark. And what the game teaches you is that, uh, so basically where you see symbols, it means that you can't draw just any line from point A to point B. Oh. You need to follow some kind of a rule that is implied by the symbols. Mm -hmm. So where you see light squares and dark squares inside of the grid, mm -hmm. that means the line that you draw from point A to point B has to separate the light squares from the dark squares. Oh, that's interesting. They can't interesting. be on the same side of the line that you create. Okay. And the, and the way that you know this is because the puzzles all sort of feed into each other where like you solve one puzzle that that makes the next puzzle available. That screen was blank and now it's lit up mm -hmm. and on and on down a line. And so you'll know when you have failed a puzzle because you might draw a line that goes perfectly from point A to point B. Looks like you've completed the circuit, but then when you try to activate it, it like flashes red and doesn't accept it and it doesn't activate the next puzzle. And you go like, oh, okay, there's a rule set here that I wasn't privy to that I'm not following. So let me try to figure out what the rule set is. And then I'll know when I've done the puzzle the way it was meant to be done when it accepts the line that I create and then the next puzzle is activated. So. Yeah. What is so special about this? I mean, there's a lot that's special about this game, in my opinion. But what's particularly special about it is that no no one is teaching you with words yeah. how to solve the puzzles. Well, that and that was going to be part of my question. Is there text or, no, or okay. voiceover at all? So here's the here's one funny thing about this game. Um. There is a pause menu, mm -hmm. and if you go into settings, one of the settings is you can toggle on and off subtitles. Right. And I laughed when I first saw that because I had been playing the game for a little while, <laughs> and I was like, I don't talk. There's no one else on this island. <laughs> it's clearly like a very quiet, very isolated experience. Uh -huh. So why would there be subtitles? Well... It turns out that uh, if you look hard enough, secreted away in these little, sometimes hard to reach areas, there are audio diaries. Oh. Like in Bioshock or uh -huh. in Gone Home. But the audio diaries aren't like Bioshock or Gone Home because they are not people sort of narrating the lives that they once had on this island, mm -hmm. they're all quotes from famous people. Oh. And when so I say like famous people... it's an inspirational people, calendar. I, yes, to be very reductive about it, yes. <laughs> when I say famous people, I mean uh, some of the great thinkers, uh -huh. right? Uh -huh. So, uh, like, for example, 
uh, Albert Einstein, Augustine of Hippo, uh, B.F. Skinner, uh, William Wordsworth gets in there. Mm-hmm. And, and if you listen to enough of them, you can recognize that like there's a real effort to like draw from bodies of work that are like from science, from literature, from religion and the mm-hmm. study of those things. It's a wide swath. I'll just give you one example. Some of the some of the audio diaries are minutes long. Like mm-hmm. they go on for a while. And you can, you know, keep exploring while you listen to them. As you walk away from them, they don't get any quieter. Okay, but that's this, convenient. Th- this is one of the shortest examples. If You can find one of the earliest. Uh, I mean, it's nonlinear, so there's no telling the order in which you'll encounter them. But one of the audio logs closest to the beginning area of the game right. is one where if you activate it, you'll hear this quote. Of all the communities available to us, there is not one I would want to devote myself to, except for the Society of True Searchers, which has very few living members at any time. And that is an Albert Einstein quote. Huh. That's the kind of thing that you'll hear if you can find the audio diaries. And that's the reason why you might turn subtitles on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the point is... uh, there is no there's no one teaching you with words mm-hmm. the rules for how to solve the puzzles S- playing with the puzzles themselves teaches you how the puzzles work mm-hmm. it's very active learning and it requires you to be observant about like what works and what doesn't work when i see these symbols yeah. another example is rather than the little squares that are inside of the squares created by the grid there's another type of puzzle where on the paths that you can take mm-hmm. there are these little dots and if you ignore the dots and you go around them and you create a line from point a to point b then when it goes like, boom, when it does like the you failed sound effect, also the dots will flash red. Oh. So it signals to you, oh, okay, you can probably pretty quickly pick up. I will solve, <clears throat> excuse me, I will solve this puzzle when I draw the line over every dot. Yeah. Excuse me, I'm going to take a drink of my beverage. You should do that. That's that's a I'm, I'm very excited yeah. to play this game now because it glad seems like I'd be good at it. <laughs> I think you will be. And I can't wait to talk more about it, um, you know, when you've experienced it. So I won't be giving anything away that's yeah. cool that I want you to experience for yourself. Um, I'm just wetting my whistle with a little winter wassail from Trader Joe's. <laughs> Here I go. A wassailing and podcasting. Among the leaves so green. I've made mm. wassail before, but like with... Thank you for knowing what this is. <laughs> oh my gosh. Wait, what, wait, what are you drinking? Uh, Trader Joe's sells this uh, bottle of a winter wassail, a spiced holiday libation. A festive beverage blend of apple, black currant, and lemon juices from concentrate infused with holiday spices and orange peel. And I'll tell you a secret. I put a little rum in it. Okay, yeah, I was going to say I've made <laughs> I've made wassail before, but yeah, with alcohol and you simmer it on the stove and it the whole house smells like a delight. 
I am drinking a cold from a bottle that was in the refrigerator. <laughs> Ugh, gross. <laughs> and no, then, yeah, and then I'm like, here we come, a wassailing among mm, the leaves so green. Leaves so green. Yeah, I think you're the first person to know the word and that song. Of course I, of course. Who do you mm-hmm. think I am? Yes, yes. I should have known. <laughs> okay, what else do I want to get out about this game before I tell you the secret of <gasps> Psalm 46? which is the name of the special piece of trivia that I mentioned before. Um, okay, so... Uh, okay, I, I'm tempted to leave this for you to figure out for yourself. I'll, I'm, I'll be vague about it. Okay. Basically, what you might discover on your own playing the game is that that activate but what i referred to as the activate button before mm-hmm. and when you do it you really focus in on the puzzle screen and the pale dot appears yeah um you don't have to be in front of a screen to use the activate button uh-huh. and if you use it when you're not in front of a screen it still works Oh. And the only the only difference is that you don't fo- you don't hone in on anything. Uh-huh. It just creates it just sort of frames whatever was in your field of vision at the moment that you press the button. Oh. But the dot still appears. Uh-huh. And in this way you can figure out that there is a different type of puzzle that you could go through the whole game without ever recognizing a single one. A tree puzzle. Even though there are over a hundred of them <gasps> scattered throughout the island. And yes, you might, for example, look up uh, when you're among uh, some trees. You might look up at the sky and you might see that there's a kind of line created by the crown shyness. And you and if... If you're standing in just the right spot Uh out of the millions of spots that you could be standing in, you might say, oh, wow, that line created by the crown shyness looks an awful lot like it has a big circle at one end and then a continuous line that ends in this rounded little nub. That's crazy. Yeah. So, And I say that you might never discover those because there's as far as i know i believe there's nothing there there i said before there are some like closed doors uh-huh. and puzzles that you have to solve to open the doors as far as i know that there's nothing in the game that blocks your way that can only that gets unblocked by doing one of those environment puzzles mm-hmm. so i'm pretty sure that you could just never do one Wow. And, st- and still experience the whole game. How would you know when you've experienced the whole game? Well, the credits roll. <laughs> um, that's an interesting secret that I won't get into talking about. <laughs> the, the credits, the credits specifically. Uh-huh. But I will say that um, the puzzles are kind of grouped into those areas, like the desert area or mm-hmm. the forest area. And you. Um, you can go to any of those areas in this nonlinear fashion, but within each of those areas, you know, solving one puzzle activates another puzzle. And so you have to go through them in a sort of linear way. 
And so in each area, if you could solve, you know, all the puzzles one after another, there there will be a final one that activates a laser. A laser. There's no way, there's no way of knowing why or what this does, except there are certain puzzles where like, okay, I, I, I guess I got to the end of this area because like a big metal box opens and there's this very slow mechanical process where something that kind of looks like a security camera emerges and then, you know, positions itself at a very precise angle and then fires a laser. And when I, and I don't mean like a laser pistol, like star Wars, I mean like, like a laser pointer where like you can see the, the beam. Like in breath of the wild. It just continuously, you see that beam now Mm. coming from that point of origin to the top of the mountain. Great. Yeah. So I won't get I won't get into what they do and you can figure that out when you play it, but suffice to say, you'll know you're making progress when you are activating lasers. Mm-hmm. And there's a finite number of lasers, so if you activate them all, you could come to some conclusions about when to stop playing the game. Yeah. <laughs> so um Besides the audio logs, and I talked a little bit about the environment puzzles, the, I, I won't talk about this too much, but just to paint a little bit more of a complete picture of what the game looks like. The other thing that you'll encounter instead of other people, that is mm-hmm. to say, you know, non-player characters, uh, th- there are some statues scattered throughout the island. Oh. And... In my opinion, the statues are the most confounding part of the uh-huh. game. I, I, I've never completely come to like a satisfying interpretation of like, why statues? Uh-huh. Um, but statues are creepy as hell, man. They are. It does create like an unsettling vibe and it does kind of make you feel like you know, maybe they are people turned to stone, you know, uh-huh. rather than actual statues. And and they do give you, like, something interesting to look at. But the, but what's confounding about them is that, like, by and large, I, d- I don't think that you solve any puzzles with them. Like, oh, there's there's nothing there's nothing to, to interact with uh, mm-hmm. when it comes to the statues. It's just kind of, like, something interesting to look at. And, and a lot of them have this kind of twist to them where like oh oh it's interesting like oh when i look at it from this position it looks like one thing but then when i come over here and look at it oh it looks it looks you know like something else oh know? like a like a bunny or a duck yeah kind of like that yeah. <laughs> um it's almost like a like a gordian knot kind of situation uh-huh. but not in such a literal optical illusion kind of a way okay um that's all i want to say about the statues um okay so i'll i'll lead into how the witness got me to the very interesting bit of trivia yes so um after you leave those castle walls um 
one of the things that you might encounter soon after that, if you follow a certain path leading out of the castle, is a door, a closed door with a puzzle on it. And this puzzle looks particularly large and complicated. Mm -hmm. And it looks intimidating. So if you can solve it, then the door will open to a small room where you can find basically a piece of paper that has on it what looks like an image of an already solved puzzle. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is a good opportunity for for me to talk about how when I first played this game, it drove me insane. (laughs) I don't have the same smartphone that I did when I first played it, but if I did, I could show you all of the pictures that I had on my smartphone where I had to photograph parts of the game in order to refer to them later. (laughs) And besides using photographs on my phone, I would also sometimes use um, pencil and paper Uh and like different colored highlighters. Oh my God, Will. Try to recreate the puzzles and like try to figure out a solution. And one time I even went as far as there was a puzzle that I could not crack one night. And I was like, I don't have the time to keep doing this. I have the patience, but I don't have the time. Uh And this is going to bother me so much. But it wasn't a weekend. It was a work night. Yep. So I took that photograph. And then when I got into work the next day on my work computer... I recreated the puzzle in Excel. <laughs> and I did find the solution that way. So so that's that's a picture of, of just how captivated my brain was uh-huh. playing this game. Um, it really just it really got into my head. And 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 the the other way that it can get into your head is besides like Okay, you you think of specific puzzles and you want to solve them even when you're not playing the game. The other thing is that you might start finding puzzles in the world. Uh. You know? Like like <laughs> it, it, like if the game is really successful, yeah. Then then you will start to look at the world in a different way mm-hmm. and you'll start to be like is that a, you know, circle I know exactly into a continuous line. I, not not in terms of puzzles, but like, so I have Windows 10 on my work computer. And are you familiar with the Windows 10 lock screen? Yes. And how? So every for our listeners, our Goslings, the Windows 10 lock screen changes every time, it, once a day, basically sometimes twice right. a day. And some of the images on it are really beautiful. And every so often, and they're usually of landscapes. They don't usually have people in them. Sometimes they have like maybe a silhouette. Sometimes they have some architecture, some cities. And every so often, I will take a picture of one of these and send it to my friend Jay, who also, who maybe is the only person I know that loves The Legend of Zelda more than I do. And I'll say, oh, there's definitely a shrine here. (laughs) Referencing, (laughs) of course, the shrines you have to find. Or, oh, if I could climb to the top of that, I'm sure I'd find a Korok. Um, or occasionally, just let me jump from here and glide to eternity. Mm, right. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah. So and and this this may also uh, 
uh, be called uh, the Tetris effect, right? Oh, this, yes. This has been studied specifically with the game Tetris uh, and the way that uh, after you play it for an extended period of time, it, it, it gets into your head to the point that you sort of mentally keep playing it afterwards. So um, I mentioned the room with the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm kind of getting into secrets territory here, but basically there are uh, f- uh, there are six of those scattered throughout the game, like doors with a particularly hard puzzle that you have to solve in order to open it. And then there's a solved puzzle inside. And mm-hmm. then you can find an environment in the game where... It, it looks it's underground so you're back inside mm-hmm. and and it looks like a little screening room and outside the screening room is a puzzle that looks like the one in these pictures oh and the puzzle has a bunch of different starting points and a bunch of different endpoints. So there's tons of different ways that could be solved, Mm -hmm. but there are only six that activate videos that start playing in the screening room. Wow. Okay. So you can find those six solutions. If you solve those really hard puzzles on the doors scattered throughout the environment, except that's not really true because one out of the six it requires more than just a hard puzzle on one particular door. Mm-hmm. It requires that you go through this gauntlet. Oh. I won't get... There's not enough time to get into the details of describing this, and I think I would give it away too much that I don't want to give away yeah. to someone who hasn't played it. But suffice it to say... I played it on PS4. When you play something on PS4, you unlock these trophies by doing different things in a game. For The Witness, there was only like a trophy per laser that I mentioned before. Uh-huh. And then one additional trophy. Uh-huh. And, and that one, the description of how to get it is complete a certain challenge. <laughs> and if you can complete a certain challenge then you will get the image of the solution to that screening room puzzle that will unlock the video, which is uh, (laughs) the, the, the visual is, is not much to look at. Yeah. But the audio that it plays is recording of a lecture. Um, It was written by a game designer called Brian Moriarty. Uh-huh. And he presented this lecture at some game developers conference. And I guess John Blow liked it so much that he wanted to include it in the game. Yeah. It's ve- buried very deep. So when I say that I learned this fact by playing The Witness, I say only kind of because I cheated and I went online and I went to YouTube and I listened to the lecture on YouTube. Yeah. Before I ever completed the challenge, which Uh bragging rights eventually I did. (laughs) So you can go on YouTube and you can listen to this lecture called The Secret of Psalm 46 by Brian Moriarty. And I encourage you to do it. Like I said, it's about an hour long. Uh, I've listened to it multiple times. It will (laughs) it will make me cry. Oh, wow. With the sheer (laughs) magnitude of. Uh 
piquing my interest. Uh-huh. Ostensibly, it's supposed to be a lecture about Easter eggs in video games. Okay, yeah. But it goes to these autobiographical places for the author, and it goes to all of these historical places, and he's taking all of these avenues to kind of get in the subject in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a weird and interesting way. One of the things that he talks about is the Shakespeare authorship problem. Oh. How familiar are you with the Shakespeare authorship problem? I don't. Um, if I'm familiar with it, I'm not familiar with that labeling of it. So so you, you've heard speculation that William Shakespeare didn't write all those plays. Yes. Right. So there's a problem, right? Um, h- how is it possible <laughs> that all of these poems and plays were written by this guy who was born in Stratford-upon-Avon and... Uh, didn't always spell his name the same way. Yeah. And scholars have searched for the library of William Shakespeare because he must have been an extremely learned man mm-hmm. to write these plays that had tons and tons of references to, you know, history and all of the sciences and just every friggin' discipline under the sun. Mm-hmm. You'd have to be so well-rounded. So he must have read so many books and had an extensive library, and they can't find a single book in the world that they can attribute to belonging to uh, William Shakespeare. Uh-huh. Um, all we know about him is where he w- where he was born and where he's buried and what the dates are at his grave. Right. So, and, and okay, I said you should listen to the lecture, and you should, but I'm giving away the ending right now. That's fine. It's, it's called The Secret of Psalm 46. I'm going to tell you The Secret of Psalm 46. <gasps> and I'm going to do it in a way that it is not going to have the powerful impact that it has on me when I listen to Brian Moriarty's lecture. But it's just too interesting to keep it inside me any longer. <laughs> so what I learned from listening to this lecture is that if you go to Stratford-upon-Avon in England uh-huh. and you visit the church where Shakespeare is buried... Uh-huh. On one side of the church, on one side of the altar is his grave marker. And on the other side, under glass, is a first edition copy of the King James Bible. Mm-hmm. The King James Bible under glass is open mm-hmm. and it's open to Psalm 46. And you know what I should do? And I kind of meant to do it at the beginning of the podcast, but... I forgot. <laughs> is yeah, I because thought, I distracted you by pointing out that it's the smug bus. No, that's okay. I was planning, it, but I didn't plan this. Um, I, there's not enough time for me to read Psalm 46, but you, you have any any guess at all? You know why why Psalm 46? No, I don't know what I don't know. I mean, I know what a psalm is. <laughs> right. So there's, there's there's a book of Psalms, right? And they're all yeah. numbered. Is 46 long? Usually I feel like these guys are short. The Psalms are pretty short, but it, it's it's long enough for okay. what I'm about to tell you to be true. Okay. So a couple things uh-huh. that may be coincidences uh-huh. or they may not. Okay. Because 
the King James Bible was published in Shakespeare's lifetime. Right. And keep in mind, you know, if you listen to the lecture, you have this context rolling around in your head of the people who have tried to solve the problem of whether Shakespeare really was Shakespeare or was it really a pseudonym for Francis Bacon or was it really a cabal of great writers at the time who were all publishing under the same name? Maybe they were collaborating on these writings kind of in the way that the King James Bible was translated into English. Mm -hmm. So all of that, with all that rolling around in your head, first thing you need to know is that based on the dates on Shakespeare's grave marker, Mm -hmm. the King James Bible was published when Shakespeare was 46 years old. Okay. The 46th word from the beginning of Psalm 46 is shake. No. And. And. The 46th word from the end of Psalm 46 is spear. Fuck no. (laughs) Fuck no. Isn't that just so wild it's so wild that it makes you angry that of all the times that you took english classes (laughs) and all the times that you had to read shakespeare for school and learn about him no one ever mentioned that oh my god why did no one ever mention that and like brian moriarty like like brian moriarty says in his speech either that is the greatest coincidence in the history of literature yeah or it isn't yeah (laughs) oh my god oh my god holy shit yeah so i never would have learned that because i never would have listened to that lecture had i not played the witness yes a video game in which that whole lecture hour-long lecture is sort of buried as a very hard to access uh sort of easter egg Wow. Um, we're running out of time. Any questions or comments? Um, no. I, how, <laughs> how could I? How could I? So you mentioned you want to play this game now. Yeah. So um, you're on easy street because you have a PlayStation 4. I and do. that's how I play it. And that's how I would recommend playing it. Um. Or uh, you might save a little money if you have uh, an iPhone or an iPad. I don't. Okay. Well, yeah. So uh, neither do I. Except, but I well, bet I do maybe have, our Goslings do. Yeah, I do have an iPad, but it's an older one, and it doesn't have. Uh, it won't. It, it it it's not new enough to get the version of the iOS that is required. Uh-huh. Um, so any, anyway. Um, if you don't have a PlayStation 4, fret not. You could play it on the Xbox One, but if you don't have one of those, fret not. Um, they, I, I don't know how this is possible, but they made it into a mobile game. What? I, I checked my uh, uh, Android phone, and I didn't find it in the Google Play Store, so I guess you can't get it there. But if you have iOS... Uh-huh. Um, you could play it on an iPad or I think even an iPhone 
And from and I haven't tried it, but from what I understand, it is the same game, and it is only ten dollars. Wow! Which makes me mad because I played it on PlayStation Four, and I believe it cost me forty dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but was it pl- was but the forty dollars was worth it for that fact? Oh my god! Yeah. Oh, worth it and more. I yeah. I would. I would. If it, even if it cost, even if I was talking to you, and I know you have a PlayStation Four, and uh, it costs sixty dollars. I would, as most video games do, and when I say most, yeah. I mean you know the the AAA ones. Yeah. Um, the ones that that come out, you know, via physical discs and cartridges. Um, I would still, I would still recommend it and say, yeah, it's worth the price. Um, you can sink a lot of hours into it if you uh have the patience to uh dedicate yourself to it. How many times have you played this game? That's my that's my final question. Well, that's I mean. Really, the one real drawback that I can think of is that there's basically no replay value to this game. Uh-huh. Except to, like, feel really smug about yourself because you're good exactly. at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is fun to feel smug about it. And it is is it is fun just to revisit that world for a moment. Have you but, made your girl play it? No, not really. Oh, I bet she would like it. Yeah, well, she's seen what it she's she's seen what it's done to me. Oh, boop, poo poo on her. <laughs> well, she she's she's been she has been less willingly on your end of this conversation, and so <laughs> so she doesn't have a very good impression of the game for that reason. But oh. um, obviously, I highly highly recommend it. And um, yeah, I was saying that it's it's fun to pick it up uh, again once in a while, but. Um, what you know once you you know i'm not saying i've memorized the solution to every puzzle like i actually started playing it again today just to you know get into yeah. the mindset of it before yeah. recording this and i did find that like oh some of these puzzles are like not as easy as i thought it would be yeah. having played this before but still it's basically like you know i'm never going to have that experience again yeah of being dropped into it not knowing what was coming not knowing what the symbols mean when I first encounter them mm-hmm. and learning it all from scratch. So if I could erase it from my brain <laughs> and experience it again, yeah, absolutely. I would say, you know, eternal sunshine, uh, eternal sunshine might, yeah, that very specific set of memories and let me do it again. But yeah, a- anyway, so, so I've only truly played it once through, but um, I would estimate maybe like, 20 25 hours or something like that wow okay um yeah uh thanks for listening and go play the witness if you uh have any means to with which to play it and will congratulations we just finished the first season of the smug buds congratulations to you liz and uh we'll see you maybe for season two according to will of the smug buds (laughs) Love you, Liz. Love you, Will. See you next week, but only in my heart because that's not when an episode's coming out. (laughs) Love you too, Goslings. Bye, Goslings. Bye-bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at YoungestOfOne, and his website is WilliamHoffacker.com. You can find Liz at Exclamate on Instagram, at Exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, ElizabethDeannaMorrisLakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.